This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Well, good morning, good morning. Happy Monday morning. Hope your weekend was very good. Uh, mine was relatively uneventful, I must admit, but uh, I am your guest host here, Pitch Hitting for Ward Scott. Thank you all for joining us again as we get kick off the week with a fantastic guest. We're coming to you live from the Melden Law Studios, protected by our friends over at Crime Prevention uh, Security Systems. Uh, hopefully, as you can see on the screen here, I've got a special guest for you tonight, uh, this morning. He is the former uh, CEO of the John Birch Society. He's held virtually every every volunteer and staff position with the society, including national director uh, of field activities, uh, national director of development. And for several years, he has represented the society in a variety of media appearances, including 60 Minutes. Uh, he is a prolific author, uh, International Merger of Foreign Entanglements, which I think we have back there on the shelf. Uh, he has also written a, 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 a really extensive look at a good chunk of American history in a book called the Vic- To the Victors Go the Myth the Monuments, uh, In the Shadows of the Deep State, and China, the Deep State's Trojan Horse in America, which is a book we're going to get to actually in the second half of the hour. But uh, Art, thank you for joining us here on the show today. We're going to talk about Benedict Biden, a book you wrote not too long ago about the now current president. How are you doing this morning? Oh, well, thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um uh, we we know a little bit about Biden, obviously, in the last 10 years and this, you know, kind of. But I wanted to go actually back and talk a little bit, lay a little bit of foundation on the early years of now President Biden. Can you can you kind of go into that? Because you kind of start off your book with that. Well, that's what I did. Uh, the book itself, I show that uh, the man was uh, married, for instance, to Jill in the United Nations Chapel, which is called a gateway to the United Nations. And immediately after being married, he goes to the People's Republic of Hungary behind the Iron Curtain for their honeymoon, which is a rather strange place to be as a United States senator. But, uh, you know, almost no one knows this fact. Uh, But his early years were really ingratiating himself in in every manner possible, uh, almost as a chameleon, if you will, to uh, elevate himself within the Senate. But if you looked at everything that he he published and so on and so forth, particularly in 1992, he told the world what he was going to do, what his goals Uh were. And, And everything he's done as president was already published in two in two ways. One was in the uh, Wall Street Journal in April 23rd, 1992, in an article which he uh, titled, How I Learned to Love the New World Order. 
And then he followed that up with a booklet, which was mainly a compilation of the speeches that he had given on the floor of the Senate, wherein he said on the threshold of the new world order. And uh, he outlined everything in there that he's been doing now, the environmental movement. He wants to turn the United States uh, armed forces over completely to NATO, uh, taking them out of the hands of Congress and, and that sort of thing, and on and on and on and on. And yet I've never seen a Republican who ever ran against him ever expose these ideas that they could well document in their opposition to him in any election. That's all there. And that, yeah, I, and I kind of I agree with you. That's a little bit of a red flag. I think uh, we may actually have the image of uh, of that article. Um, production can put that up if we if we have it. I can't remember if I. He, he was elected one year younger than his eligibility under the Constitution. That's right. So you got to be eligible at 30. So he was at 29. He was, he was 29. Born. And then just two or three days before he was sworn in, he reached the required age of 30. Oh, uh, that's that's right. That's right. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's pretty, pretty convenient. He claims that, that he was elected with his family doorbelling the state of Delaware, which anyone who yeah, knows anything about a senatorial race knows that is not the way a man gets elected to the Senate of the United States. It takes a powerful organization and a lot of money behind him to do it. But he makes it sound yeah. as though it was a grassroots thing. I talked to, I had a family meeting and we decided to doorbell Delaware, you know, just ridiculous. Yeah, nothing, nothing on that front really uh, adds up at all you know i kind of set up this show uh to be the fact that um this is nothing new his recent uh, affinity for globalism is nothing new uh can you tell us a little bit uh more about that well yeah he's he's long been uh involved in all these programs that lead toward uh globalism one of the things that a lot that we have a problem with with people in general is that they do not see something that they do today leads to something else tomorrow. Uh, that they they think it's a benefit, they think it's good, so on and so forth, but they don't see the long range ramifications of of the of where it leads, and they never want to go back to ground zero. In other words, they don't want to start over again. They always find some way of altering it and so on and so forth. And Biden has been very uh, articulate in in uh, managing that sort of thing over the years to where an innocent right. program, seemingly innocent program today, leads to totalitarianism tomorrow. And what do I mean by totalitarianism? I mean where government has control over that sector or all sectors of an individual's and business's life. Yeah. Well, we're seeing a little bit of preview of that with the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, we can sort of uh, expect some of these things. You know, I know you're uh, you're very much a, 
a historian and uh, to some extent, I actually view you as almost this predictive historian. Because you know history so well, you kind of can see uh, what's actually going to be coming here in the future. So a lot of this stuff isn't really nothing new to you. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, and I've seen you do some presentations on this book, and you talk about how uh, you know this this New World Order term isn't really anything new. This is kind of a, a Marxist reference, right? That's correct. The first place I could find that the term was used at New World Order was in The Holy Family by Marx and Engels that was published three years before they wrote the Communist Manifesto. And they referred to the New World Order as the communist idea born out of a secret society uh, that was out of France from Germany. Uh, and, And so... The modern translations of this book, it's interesting. Up till about five, six years ago, maybe a little longer than that, maybe 10, it was translated as New World Order. But subsequently, they started to translate it as New World System to hide the idea of this New World Order, which is being used by so many communist leaders and, regrettably, even a few American presidents. Yes. Very good. Yeah, I think we actually have Biden's admission, uh, admitting about the New World Order. Uh, that's in cut one if, produ- if uh, production is able to uh, bring up that cut. And that's not too not too long ago. I think it was actually at a business roundtable uh, just maybe a year or so ago. And, of course, this just sort of echoes what he said in 1992. Production, you got that video for us? Cut one? All right. Reflection point, I believe, in the world economy not just the world economy in the world, it occurs every three or four generations. As one of of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946. And uh, since then, we established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people died, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it. And we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. So anyway. All right, fantastic. Well, there you heard it right in his own words, uh, talking about the new world order. But, yes, back in 1992, he was writing about it in the World's Wall Street Journal. And what I find kind of curious about the 92 article is that was right at the same time that you had H.W. Uh, Bush leaving office, President uh, then President Clinton was coming into office, so the whole the whole timing of it really kind of sets the tone and the picture that it wasn't just exclusive to one party or another. It was also you know something that Bush talked about. And I know our viewers can check out Google and or YouTube and look into Bush New World Order. There's all kinds of videos and everything uh, up on on that subject. It's probably not nothing in, new to a whole lot of the audience, but if you are new in uh, I want to check that out, please do so. Again, my name is Tim Martin. I'm guest hosting for Ward Scott Files. We're talking to Art Thompson, former CEO of the John Birch Society this morning, talking about a book that he put together called Benedict Biden, Water Carrier for the New World Order. And Art, can you tell us a little bit about how this sort of fits into um, into the UN, I guess, uh, kind of in a broader broader question how does it how does biden fit into this picture for the new uh for the, the u.n 
Well, actually, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. It's very subtle, but if you, but you can uh, assemble all these pieces. Uh, first of all, one of the things right now that uh, Biden used during his campaign to be elected is Build Back Better. And uh, Build Back Better uh, was a main uh, campaign theme in uh, 2020. And the uh, if you go to the United Nations, almost every activist uh, website that the UN has, you'll find Build Back Better in it. It is a United Nations slogan and program. And there he had adopted it for his campaign. Another thing is that he's always uh, advocated that ultimately we turn our armed forces over to NATO. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is, because they've never read the treaty, is that NATO is an arm of the United Nations. Ostensibly, it was formed to protect Western Europe from Russia. But it subordinates itself to the United Nations Security Council. And you read the UN Charter and put it right next to the the NATO Treaty, you realize that, son of a gun, we don't have control over our own troops, that they actually are controlled by the Security Council. Well, who's on the Security Council? Russia and China. And they can veto any action by this treaty, according to the NATO Treaty, they can veto any action by these armed forces from NATO. And so it's all a farce. Uh, and, and so you can support NATO. And, and as, as uh, uh, Biden has done, made it look as though he's patriotic by being a part of uh, the coterie that wants us to be completely involved in NATO. And, and like I say, look like a patriot and an anti-communist. But in reality, he's giving away total control over our armed forces to the UN, indirectly, but nonetheless, if you read the treaties, you discover that's the that's the program. And so, right. uh, in everything that he's done over the years, you can see that uh, problem. It's subtle, but it's there. Right, right. Well, I remember, uh, I guess it would have been 2001, 2002, Colin Powell going to the Security Council for authorization to go into Iraq, correct? Correct. That's and, correct. And, uh, and so if you think back on the various conflicts we were in over the years, since we joined the United Nations, number one is we've never declared war. How many wars have we been involved in and never declared war as the Constitution requires? And the other thing is in Korea, the Soviet Union got up and walked out. Remember that? So they didn't have to vote. See, if they'd stayed... Uh, they would have voted against it, but they wanted us to have that war in Korea uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, they all they all love war. Uh, war is a means of changing society in every country involved in that, in a war. And so war has been a useful tool for them. Take a look, for instance, subsequent to our membership in the United Nations to stop war, we've been involved in more wars than <laughs> any other period in, in our history. In fact, it's almost, uh, it's gotten to the point where we're not almost, we are not even in a, a point of having peace. It's it's right. constant war and over and over and over again. 
And it's all under the auspices of the Security Council of the United Nations, because that's where we got the permission to do it. And it did it under NATO. Well, even we went into Afghanistan under NATO, right? Yes. And, and so yes. Uh, all of that stuff uh, is tied back to the UN when you read the treaties. It's, it's the behind-the-scenes manipulation. And if you read these subsequent uh, authorizations that go before Congress, you'll discover that that's the case. Nobody ever reads these right. things, though. Uh, they just right, feel right. that, well, well, they got authorized, and that's that's kind of like a declaration of war, but I'm sorry it's not. Sure, sure. Well, I'm joined here by Arthur Thompson, former CEO of the John Burt Society. I'm guest host Tim Martin for the Word Scott Files, uh, brought to you in the Melbourne Law Studios, protected by crime prevention uh, systems. This is going to be a little bit of a... a, a a deep dive into his book about uh, Benedict Biden, water carrier for the new world order. And Art, I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about, um, you know, the UN has, has been around since most of the viewers here life, but um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the history of how we got to the UN with, you know, after world war two? Well, first of all, I got, I have to go back a little bit further than that. Uh, a one world government has been the the goal of the communists forever. That's been their goal. And uh, it, it's delineated that way uh, in, in the communist manifesto. So the, the promotion of the new world order has been kind of the elitist arm of the communist movement for a long, long time. And I could spend an hour on this, but just moving forward quickly during uh world war one was fought supposedly to save the world uh, for democracy according to woodrow wilson well we're a republic not a democracy first of all we won't get into that but we did not sign the versailles treaty a lot of people think that we rejected the league of nations but signed the versailles treaty well we didn't because to have signed the Versailles Treaty at the end of World War I would have meant we would have become a member of the League of Nations. So we didn't even sign the treaty. We signed a treaty with Germany a few years later, just between the United States and Germany itself, independent from all the other countries. Mm -hmm. So the, the American people and the Senate of the United States rejected any idea of becoming part of a world government which was the beginnings within the League of Nations. So they needed another war to do what they didn't accomplish in World War I. And if you take a look at it, if you go back and, and you look at all the old movies that were made during the war, you know, in, in uh, what's that channel that they have with, with old, uh, old movie TCM, um, but yeah, what is a that? couple of them. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, they had a lot of old old movies, and you'll see propaganda was it was uh, inculcated within these movies. We can't have another war. You know, we've all got together, get together, and have world peace and, and all of that. You'll even see old newsreels during World War II of American troops landing on various shores, where it says United Nations troops landing at such and such. Well, they weren't. They were American troops. So they're inculcating right. within the American psychic the idea of a United Nations. 
And so during the latter months of the war, they got together in San Francisco in 1945 in July and formulated the United Nations, which we ratified, became a member on the conclusion of the war and got involved at that time. And the main organization promoting it was the Council on Foreign Relations. Now, it's interesting that a lot of people uh, know about the Great Reset and, and all of that stuff. But most people are not aware, unless they're very well informed, about the, the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the primary organization within the United States promoting uh, a one-world government. And you'll find that the uh, council out of New York even controls various councils in a lot of other countries where the elites are involved in forming these this movement towards their new world order or a one world government. And it's interesting to see that even the best of conservative pundits never mention the organization behind all of this on television. Never, ever. Well, I can't say ever, but if they do, they find themselves out of a job. It's just that simple. And, and so uh, the, the propaganda that was permeated into the United States by this organization, the Council, or CFR, uh, was a long-term uh, propaganda uh, campaign to get people thinking in terms of we need a world government. And that was subsequently done with uh, the tremendous destruction of World War II and and even before the war was over, uh, we were referring to our troops as UN troops, uh, so on and so forth, even before they met in San Francisco to form the organization. So subsequently, everybody was tired of war, and they thought we're going to have peace, and everybody is all good friends now and all that stuff. And we even had uh, American soldiers uh, shaking hands with Russian soldiers. Uh, at the River Elba in Germany and all that stuff. And now we can all get along now. And so subsequently, everybody fell for this UN idea. And uh, that's that's superficially what, what, what happened. Yeah, we certainly don't have enough time in an hour to even uh, scratch the surface. Uh, so we're talking uh, again with uh, former CEO of the John Birch Society, Arthur Thompson. He's wrote a book about Benedict Biden water carrier for the new world order and i wanted to go to cut to uh production if you have that set up because i want to tie these two things together you've got the un uh their promoters the council on foreign relations biden and that's going to lead us into the next topic of how this kind of ties into uh all the conversations that are going right now and that is the biden's in ukraine uh one, one thing to cut to One thing while he's doing that, I if I had to do it over again, I might rename that book because I'm finding that people under 30 years of age don't get the idea of what Benedict Biden means. Oh, well, very true. Uh, you know, very true. You, you and I ran into that in Maine. Uh, yeah. People under 30 don't even know who Benedict Arnold is. And I just ran into it again last week. Even after I explained it to this woman that was a plus or minus 30 years old, she didn't have a clue who Benedict Arnold was and the significance of that. Gotcha. Perfect. We've got the. 
I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And uh, um, I remember going over convincing our team, our others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, right, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev. And, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Well, there's still, they, so they... All right, well, well we're back. And... Uh... If, if you noticed and you were observant enough, you will see that uh, Joe Biden was at the Council on Foreign Relations. You can see the backdrop in the banner had Council on Foreign Relations. That person that he was uh, referencing and looking at over to his left was Richard Haas. Uh, he is the now ex-head of the Council on Foreign Relations. He just turned that organization over to uh, Rich, uh, Peter Froman, I think is his, his – Froman's his last name. I can't remember actually – uh, the first name, but I wanted to tie that Biden conversation, and that was a video from 2018 referring to action that he made in 2016. But even before that, uh, we had this turn of the Ukrainian prime minister office in an overthrow where we actually had put Poroshenko into office in 20, into, into 2012. So this was during the first term of the Obama Biden. Uh, so all right, talk us talk us through a little bit how these sort of things all kind of fit together into the conversations that everybody seems to be having right now with Biden and Ukraine. Well, the thing is that uh, the disruption uh, that is occurring, uh, which will become more and more obvious as time goes by, with this war between Russia and Ukraine, uh, will. Uh, create a, a famine, if you will, around the world. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I put out a short video a couple of weeks ago that almost everything that they're doing these days uh, has a result of uh, ending life, if you will. Right. And uh, right. if you take a look at what's happening in the environmental movement, the war in Ukraine, uh, the recent uh, edict by India, and so on and so forth, relative to food supplies, it's going to cause a tremendous problem in Africa for sure and in other areas because the wheat, uh, you know, Ukraine was known as the breadbasket of Europe. Right. It also is the breadbasket of Africa. And so the thing is that if you can't ship out of Odessa and other areas like that, the grains that Ukraine uh, produce, it's going to uh, uh, cause a tremendous shortage of food. India has just issued an edict last week to limit uh, rice being exported, and yet a lot of people don't realize that India is the largest exporter of rice of any country in the world. 
In fact, it's caused a little bit of a run on the grocery stores in the United States as a result of it. So that particular, that's one area of, of what's going on right now that's going to have tremendous effect on the world population, regardless of their political stance or, or anything else. And this is a this is a movement by the environmentalists in league with all of this. The environmentalists want to decrease the population of the earth. I mean, if you read their stuff, you may not see it in a speech, or if it's in the speech, it's so superficial it goes by you real quick like it did with uh, the vice president a couple of weeks ago, where she had that right. Freudian slip where we need to decrease the population. And, well, they uh, act like it's a Freudian slip, but is it really? You, you kind of wonder. <laughs> you just don't know. But at any rate, uh, the thing is that that's, that's one angle of, of all of this that's going on. The other angle is this. Ukraine is a corrupt country at the top. Just terrible. Yeah. It, is, uh, it has banished all churches in Ukraine except one. Uh, and and even arrested many of the priests uh, of these various Catholic offs- offshoots, the Orthodoxes, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we have no uh, oversight into what is going on with the money we send them. I mean, we 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 know of all about the arms that we're sending them, but very few people think in terms of the billions and billions of dollars that we've sent. Well, how is it spent? The history of Ukrainian leadership is it goes into their pocket. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and so you've got to ask the question, if these people are really enemies or not. Now, the leadership is what I'm talking about, not the people. First of all, Ukraine's got a very large Russian population. If anybody knows anything about Ukraine. It also has hey, a very me, large... Huh? I'm sorry. Let me jump in. We got a bottom of the hour break that we have to hit. Uh, it's a little bit of a hard break. We'll let you finish that thought on the other side of the break about the Russian influence there in the eastern side of Ukraine. Uh, we are here at the uh, Melden Law Studios, protected by Crime Prevention Studios. I'm sitting in for Ward Scott. Join us here on the other side of the break as we finish up talking with uh, Arthur Thompson about Benedict Biden and a couple other books that he has. We'll be right back in just a second. inaction of the Biden White House. I recently gave a series of talks around this book, and the audiences came away with a better knowledge of what to expect from this administration. The book outlines the program of Biden, and it is taken from his writings over the years, especially his blueprint he penned, spoke, and published in 1992, The New World Order. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. 
This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Biden White House. I recently gave a series of talks around this book, and the audiences came away with a better knowledge of what to expect from this administration. The book outlines the program of Biden, and it is taken from his writings over the years, especially his blueprint he penned, spoke, and published in 1992, The New World Order. In it, he covered... All right, welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Ward Scott Files. I am your guest host, Tim Martin, and we have the pleasure of talking with former CEO of the John Burt Society, Arthur Thompson, who is a prolific writer. He's written all kinds of books. We're just uh, kind of finishing up a conversation of Benedict Biden, but here are two other books uh, that uh, Arthur has written, as well as this uh, 100 years segment of the American history. To the victors go the myth and monuments. But uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. I want to talk with you a little bit about weather brought to our friends over at Lewis Oil Company. It looks like this afternoon here in north central Florida, we are going to have thunderstorms in the afternoon. Uh, temperatures pretty much the same that they have been in the last few days, upper or uh, mid-90s, uh, excruciating uh, humidity. But it looks like also we're going to get some thunderstorms across New Orleans into Mississippi, maybe even in Alabama, and the Midwest that got hammered over the weekend uh, through Chicago uh, was also uh, pretty ugly. looks like that may be happening here in the very near future again for them. Art, you're actually up in Appleton, Wisconsin. Did you get a lot of those uh, thunderstorms that were hitting Chicago this this weekend? Well, they're they're intermittent. Uh, We get them uh, closely uh, towards the evening or into the evening. Uh, it's the only place I've ever lived that I didn't need to have a lawn sprinkler. 
You know, during the summer, we get we get all sorts of thunderclouds come through and drop enough to keep the enough rain to keep the grass growing. Good, good, good. Well, uh, we we talk about the weather every day. It's brought to us uh, from our sponsors, Lewis Oil Company. So we can't thank them enough for doing that on a regular basis. Art, you were uh, I'm sorry to cut you off there at the hard break. You were kind of talking a little bit about Russia's history in Ukraine. Uh, so, uh, Trent. Can you finish that thought for us? Well, of course, as uh, as most people know, Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire under Catherine the Great and before that, and and remained within the Russian Empire uh, for quite some time. And uh, you know, the Crimean War, uh, for instance, the Charge of the Light Brigade of the English, the English invaded Crimea and and uh, and we're not able to do much there. Uh, it's been a, a war zone over the years, and, and if you go, you have to go back in history and understand that the reason that, that Ukraine became the breadbasket of Europe was because Catherine the Great had a lot of Germans immigrate into the Ukraine, and they were the ones that produced the farmers, uh, the farms, which produced all these grains. Uh, that the the, uh, the indigenous population that was there at the time were not very good farmers, but the Germans had been good farmers for centuries. So she encouraged them to come in, and they settled in the Ukraine. And uh, during World War II, uh, they even welcomed the German troops into Ukraine because they looked as though they were being liberated from the communists. Uh, Stalin killed all the men at the end of the war in those areas and marched the women and children off to Siberia. So not many of the Germans were left that, that uh, had settled the area. So it's been a, an area that's been in turmoil for centuries. And uh, even at that, they have had these, these successful farms, which were turned into uh, communes where, you know, they had, uh, farm armies rather than farmers and uh, and so a lot of Russians uh, moved back into the Ukraine and so on and so forth so mm -hmm. uh, it was part of the United the uh, USSR right I mean you right. know when they had the the communist empire they were one of the the R's and so uh when when the so-called collapse occurred, which was phony, and we could get on that, but let's just say on the top it was a phony deal. Sure. And uh, then a lot of things changed in in these satellite countries like Poland and Hungary and and the Ukraine and others, uh, seemingly independent, but they retained a lot of their communist uh, uh, cadres. And, uh, for instance, no, when, when the collapse occurred, none of the teachers quit teaching. None of the police quit uh, being police. None of the bureaucrats left the communist buildings and uh, looked for work in the private sector and all that stuff. They just changed the names on the door and changed the name at the head of the government. And this is right. even more so in Ukraine than in Poland or Hungary or, or those countries. And so 
they still had vestiges of this communist apparatus within the country. And and so it's been going back and forth as to who should be running the country. And basically, it's the it's the guy who could screw the people more than the other guy and, and be more in tune with uh, Moscow and so on and so forth until recently. And uh, they needed to create another war. I mean, it just it's part of the scheme of const of, of perpetual war for perpetual yeah. peace. Anybody ever read 1984 knows what I'm talking about. They use well, war. What's, what's that? It's funny because if you look at the you know any of the contemporary media, you know this whole Ukraine thing started when Russia invaded in what was it 2002. Uh, or 2022, rather, but they don't bother, you know, that's sort of kind of the headline of the story. They never get down into the actual meat and, and go back uh, beyond. So I appreciate you kind of giving us a little bit of uh, an excerpt on that. Uh, I want to shift gears here and talk about a couple of the other books that you've written, because I think they're also hot topics. Uh, here on the Ward Scott Files, Ted Yoho is a guest, former congressman from our area, every Wednesday, and he is really really hot on this China topic and sort of some of the, the, the history and the threats that China poses. And I actually sent him a copy of your book. Hopefully he's gotten it. But uh, you wrote bo- a book called China, the Deep State's Trojan Horse in America. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that. Why did you write that book? And I think we've got an image of that that production can maybe uh, get on the screen while you're kind of answering that question. Why did you write that book? I wrote it because uh, the John Birch Society for years had been warning the American people of the infiltration of Chinese influence and personnel into the United States since the early 1970s, for sure. And But nobody was paying attention to it. And the Chinese influence on these mobs that were riding in the streets and, and that sort of thing. So that's what prompted me to write it, was to give some background information the depth of the infiltration of the Chinese into the United States and the width of it, uh, that they were involved in so many different things, in the schools, uh, in street Marxist organizations, in uh, finance, and so on and so forth, to try and alert people as to what was going on. Now everybody is, is up in the air about what's going on. But they're still not talking about certain uh, areas that the Chinese are involved in. Uh, they've right. taken over the and drug. Yeah, they've taken over the Sorry. drug trade internally, but they've always, since the seventies, controlled the drug trade externally. In other words, all the opiates came from Russian-controlled uh, 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 growing, whether it was Afghanistan or whether it was in the Golden Triangle, or it was all created. And, and controlled by the communists. Anyway. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, you're from Seattle. Uh, yeah. I've heard you on occasion tell a couple of stories that you have had, or ob- observations at least, about uh, Chinese and sort of a little of their, kind of a little bit of their impact here up in the Northwest. Can you talk a little bit about that? The one in your, in your, the restaurant, I think, is a pretty interesting. Oh, story that you talk about. well, yeah, I was uh, not this one. That was in 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 Yakima and that which oh. is several hundred miles away from the coast or the northern border. And I walked in there just to have a meal 
and uh, and the uh, restaurant uh, was shaped like an L. And often the short part of the L was a long table at which at least almost two dozen young men from China were sitting. Uh, similarly clothed, shod, and uh, and their haircuts were the same, military haircuts, that kind of thing. And I walked in, and I'm clad just like I normally am, and they stopped with their chopsticks in midair looking at me uh, and then realized I wasn't going, I wasn't a government agent, you know, from the immigration or whatever it was. And then they went back to eating. But it was kind of a humorous thing to see uh, because they all had the same reaction. But I felt that they were illegals and they were military age. And I felt that they were military. Uh, and, and that's something that now is becoming more and more apparent and noticeable amongst the conservatives in the country. But for many, many years, we couldn't get anybody to pay attention to this stuff. Yeah. Well, the Mexican uh, or Central American is the, the people group that we tend to be most associating with crossing the border, particularly the southern border. Uh, but you have a little insight of that, that it's not just Central Americans that are coming across this across the border. Can you tell our viewers why? Well, because they just mix in with them. They Even the terrorist countries are saying to the, the agents that they're sending in, wear a cross and shave your beard uh, and, and uh, make yourself blend in with these Mexicans and other Central American and South American individuals uh, so that, you know, for whatever purpose they're, they're going to serve. But, you know, we tend to forget that we have other borders besides the southern border. Now, right. I had a friend that invited me up for, for dinner uh, one Sunday who has a ranch whose fence line is the Canadian border. Right. And going up to his place, he had to draw me a map to get to his place on these dirt roads. And as I'm going up to his ranch, I've got all these guys walking south down this dirt road from the Canadian border with turbans and so on and so forth on their heads. And I'm saying, well, goodness sakes, aren't they washing the borders here? But they also have something else, too, that's very interesting. We have a seacoast, and we have an awful lot of Chinese ships coming in and docking at these ports full of containers. And every once in a while, it's discovered that they're Chinese in those containers. Mm-hmm. Now, the containers that they find full of Chinese, they're already dead. Because they didn't realize that you don't cook on your walk in a sealed container. Or at least right. a semi-sealed container. They, they asphyxiate themselves. So a lot of people over the years from China have left Chinese ports and come into American ports in Seattle and L.A. and other places with these Chinese uh, immigrants. Nobody knows who they are. They've also had ships that have, have uh, docked full of Chinese uh, people. Uh, the only time that I know of that they've discovered this was they had a ship with about 350 Chinese on board, which uh, shipwrecked on the west coast of Vancouver Island during a storm. 
and they had to be rescued. And I guess they rescued most of them. But apparently they even have come in that way. So for years, this has been going on, uh, and no one knows who these people really are. It's not easy to, to leave China. You have to go right. through a, a lot of hoops in order to leave China, believe me. And I point right. that out in my book, what these things are. Right, right. We also and now, to talk a little bit about... By the way, John, the now, now there are a few congressmen who are beginning to say, wait a minute, uh, China seems to be infiltrating terrorists into our country through the from the PLA. Well, we've been t- saying that since 1970. Right. Well, I was thinking about the signage on the southern border at some of these, uh, like oh, sure, water stations. Well, for Some years that there's been there's been way stations, if you will, which are nothing but posts on which are uh, five gallon cans of water and a telephone and a sign. Now, this is posted by the United States government to help people trying to sneak into the United States who get lost in the desert who are dehydrated, and they don't know where, they're, where they are. They don't know what direction to go or what have you. So the phone right. is there for them to call for help right. inside in, in the United States. And there's a sign on there telling them how to use the phone and the water. And the sign is in three languages. And this has been there for years. And the top sign is English. The second language is Spanish, and the third is Chinese. And it's been that way for many years. Now, where I first learned about this was from a congressman that showed these pictures to me that he'd taken when he was down there. And it shocked him. But it just is indicative of the percentages of people who come into the country from the southern border that they would need to have the third language as Mandarin. Right. Wow. Wow, wow. So um, we've got about 10 minutes left to go here on the Ward Scott Files. I wanted to ask you one more question about China, and then I want to get into your latest book about property rights. Is China is China really as big a threat uh, as they're kind of being made out to be in uh, the historic press? What do you think about that? Just maybe two minutes. Well, I think in Southeast Asia, they're as big a threat as, as they are purported to be. They have a larger navy than we do. I don't know how proficient it is. Mm-hmm. Our proficiency is deteriorating. We even got Biden wanting to put a woman in charge of the navy now, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And uh, all this goofy sexual stuff that they're promoting inside the military and so forth. So on one hand, you've got our leaders deteriorating our armed forces. And on the other hand, the Chinese are elevating theirs. And by the way, the Chinese, I think it was a year before last, uh, initiated a masculinity program within the PLA to make their men, their, their fighters more masculine, while ours were doing the opposite. <laughs> well, totally in the opposite direction. Yeah. And so... Uh, We have to remember the words of MacArthur, and that is never get into a war on mainland China, never, ever, because we don't have the troops to be able to overcome that. They can send hordes of people at us. Uh, They are not as proficient as people think they are uh, in, in many ways because they don't have the expertise. 
you have a lot of American companies, however, helping them, like Boeing, mm-hmm. help them build large frame aircraft. They were not capable of doing that till Boeing taught them how to do that. And we could spend a half an hour on that one alone. But uh, gotcha. I, I know I've seen photographs and, and so forth of, of things in China, which demonstrates that on one hand, you have the propaganda about the proficiency of the PLA. And on the other, on the other hand, uh, they're not really up to snuff in many, many ways overall. Uh, you, right, you, have right. the, you have these troops that march in front of Z and, and all of that, but uh, it, out there in, in the field, they're not all that proficient. Gotcha. Well, we've got about eight minutes left to go here. I'm looking at the chat. Uh, if you've got a, a last-minute question you want to try to get in, I'll be happy to try to forward that to Mr. Thompson. If we don't get it in here on the air, I'll try to get you an email about it or post it post it later on. Uh, but we want to uh, thank everybody for watching the show here. The Ward Scott Files, Melden Law Studios, protected by our friends over at Crime Prevention Security Systems. Uh, Art, your latest book is on property rights. Uh, in the last few minutes that we have left, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about the theme? People can get it at JBS or shopjbs.org. Uh, it's a quick read. Uh, I think it's a little over a hundred so pages. I read it in a day myself. Uh, but what did, you, what were you trying to go for when you wrote this book? Well, I've discovered over the years that, uh, a lot of people know an awful lot of things about what's going on, but they don't understand the fundamentals. And one of the basic fundamentals of Americanism is private property rights. And so that's why I wrote the book, is to show that, you know, private property rights was very unique to America compared to the rest of the world. Uh, The the land was owned by the ruler or uh, established families over the years and that sort of thing. You had a certain amount of it in England, but uh, you only have so much land, so much property in in these Western European countries. And uh, even if you own the land, you don't have enough to pass on to the, your large family. You can pass it on to your oldest son, but the rest of the kids have to go to school or find work somewhere else as a as a as a uh, craftsman of some sort. So private property was was a very unique thing to Americanism and is one of the American exceptions, if you will. Uh, and I get into what our forefathers had to say about private property, that it was as, uh, as, as sacred as the laws of God and that government was formed to protect property, not tax it, not to manipulate it, not to regulate it and everything else. Uh, right. and, and we've gotten away from that. So we've got to get back to the fundamentals in order to find out the solution to the problems we have today. And so that was the reason behind the book itself. I've got you. Well, you know, one of my biggest takeaways from the book, uh, and it may be my just interpretation, but you actually mentioned somewhere about just the very fact your thoughts, your own thoughts are actually your own private property. And certainly the thought police out there would like to say otherwise. Um, where did you, where was the genesis of that kind of idea? Cause that was your books the first time I really kind of sat and thought about that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I thought about it or whether I picked it up somewhere else. It's just that something that, you know, that 
when you start to, to think about what is property, then you have to start coming to the fact that somewhere along the line, it's not just land, it's not just possessions, it's not tools, it's not your car and all the rest of it, which it is, but it's not doesn't stop there. But it has to be your thoughts. It has to be your ideas. Uh, for instance, we have copyright laws, right? So, you know, that protects your thoughts when you put them down uh, on on paper or in a film or something of that nature. So, yeah. And so your thoughts can be controlled, but should not be. And, and unless, you know, there are exceptions, I, I, I'm really uh, concerned about the moral decline. And so I would say that any uh, like pornography and, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing needs to be, you know, controlled. Right, right, right. Well, we're coming to the the conclusion here. Uh, Art, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to appear today, talk a little bit about Benedict Biden, uh, water carrier for the New World Order, your China book, uh, The Deep State, or The Trojan Horse of the Deep State. And um, I we didn't get a chance, maybe we need to have you back, talk about the world of Soros. That's obviously uh, kind of a a hot topic, but any any kind of final thoughts? Where can people get more information about you or see some of these videos that uh, we we showed this morning? Well, they should go to jbs.org, mm-hmm. O-R-G. Under the, and yeah. all the, these videos and the books and all that stuff are, are there. But more importantly, they have to realize they need to be organized. All of this stuff means nothing if you don't do something with it. And so that's why the committees of correspondence were so important in America. That's really what got the revolution going. Without the committees of correspondence, we would never have had a revolution. And we need another committees of correspondence, and that's really what the John Birch Society is today. If people don't get uh, informed, but then take that information and utilize, utilize it, then it's worthless. Very good. No, ec- excellent, excellent points. Uh, you have been watching the Ward Scott Files uh, here from the Melton Law Studios, protected by Crime Prevention Studios or Crime Prevention Systems. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out as we're closing out here today to Caliber Coffee, one of our new sponsors here at the Ward Scott Files. Check them out if you're into that sort of thing. But uh, tomorrow's show is going to be one you don't want to miss. I'm going to be talking about trans- transgenderism. Uh, I've got a film, or I'm sorry. Uh, an author and someone who contributed to a recent uh, movie called Dead Name. His name is Brandon Showalter from Christian Post. So join us back here tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel on the Ward Scott Files. It's been a pleasure having you here. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks a lot.